This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, thank you very much, Roger. Good morning to you. Good morning, world. With our technology, we have people listening all over the world to WGN Radio. Unfortunately, you'll have to put up with a little bit of a cold, sore throat from yours truly this morning. I've had a good year because normally I get a bout of laryngitis in the spring of the year and then maybe a summertime cold, but this is the first time I've had a cold situation this year. So I thank you for putting up with me, and uh, this morning we have a lot to talk about. A lot has been going on. The market situation on Wall Street and in the agricultural community I'll talk a little bit more about that because as long as I've covered the Chicago Board of Trade and the stock market, I am really surprised at the reaction in both markets to yesterday's announcement that a group of Chinese that were planning to go to Montana and Nebraska are going home to China early and that sent the stock market lower, sent the grain market lower all because of the cancellation. They said they have to go home to China early, and I'll take them at their word, but apparently the markets didn't. They said, boy, that's a sign. Trade discussions between the U.S. and and China are going in the tank. So we'll talk a little bit about that this morning, and Jerry Galke of the Galke Group uh, here in the Chicago area will be talking markets with Max Armstrong, and uh, Jim Fazell, of course, is here, maybe two or three more weeks before the uh, growing season comes to an end. And so he'll talk about what you do with leftover pesticides and insecticides, how you store them to keep them away from kids, all of that coming up. So we'll join Jim Fazell when we continue on the Saturday morning show. Time to check in with Jim Fazell, and I think, Jim, there are five words this morning that are very important. Read the label and follow instructions. You got that right, and boy, I tell you, that is so important. Maybe we should have talked about this earlier in the season, but any time is a good time to talk about it. Safety is is utmost in our minds, and uh, we have a lot of uh, stuff going right on, right on right now where chemicals are suspected and there are all kinds of warnings and so forth. A lot of these problems could have been absolutely avoided by reading the labels on these particular products. Uh, you know, and we use chemicals every day, and rarely do we consider how dangerous they really are or what they actually do or what they can do, and some are pretty dangerous. In fact, I know one that we use every single day, all of us, or almost all of us, and yet it's so dangerous that I've lost one friend and had one seriously maimed by gasoline. It can be very, very dangerous if you don't watch what you're doing. But there are other things like household chemicals, 
things for cleaning like uh, in the kitchen sink and the drain, the stove cleaners, bathroom chemicals for tubs and toilets. Some of these are really harsh. And if you do look at the label, it says to wear protective clothing. And then we have bug stuff, all kinds of things that we use indoors for house the household, uh, uh, ant and roach bait, uh, fly insect control. Um, how dangerous are these things? What do they eliminate, and what do you want them to do? Are they going to do what you want them to do? Then, of course, outdoors we have garden chemicals. Uh, do you know which is which? Uh, I get questions all the time or people all the time that complain that something didn't work when they used it, and uh, they need to look and find out, is it an insecticide? Is it a weed killer? Is this something for disease control, or is it a fertilizer product? Well, if you're trying to kill weeds and you use disease control, it isn't going to work very well. Uh, also, we find a lot of people that will just apply whatever they happen to have in the garage and expect them to do something out in the yard, but they don't know what. And Many times these things just, just don't work. Um, and there are precautions that we need to take any time we use chemicals. And as you mentioned before, read the label. Labels are there. They're actually legal documents that have been tested and prepared by attorneys to fit the particular needs and to fit the and to fit the laws. We actually have a lot of regulations that control chemicals to keep us all safe. And anytime you have a chemical, there will be a label that will tell you how it is to be used and so forth. Uh, and this has been prepared specifically for that particular material that's in that in that container. Uh, they tell what the product is. They tell what it does. Is it an insecticide? It is, it, is it uh, a herbicide? Um, what does it do? How do you use it safely? That's very important, and it will tell you exactly what you need to do. Uh, what do you do if you have an emergency? What numbers do you call? Poison Control Center, the number will be on there. And then how do you get rid of it when you're done with it? How do you get rid of the empty container? Or if you have some that's left that you don't want to use, what do you do with it? you pour it down the drain? Probably not. Anyway, it's very important that you keep the label attached to the container so that any time you need to find something out about that material, you can look at the label. And another thing that you need to remember, labels do change, and they change from season to season. You do need to read the label to, to see whether it has changed, and in fact, they do. You and I have talked about seven, which has been carbaryl for 50 years. Right. Uh, I bought some material to use out in the yard. To, to get rid of webworms. Uh, I looked at the label, and it said this is for webworms. This material has a label that says seven. But if you look at the chemicals, it is not carbaryl. It is zeta-cypermethrin, which is a completely different material. It does a job, but it's not seven. Now, if you've been used to using carbaryl as seven, uh, that's completely different than what this stuff does, or the way it behaves and the way you mix it and so forth. So you need to check the label. So seven may not any longer be seven. Same thing with Roundup. We've talked about Roundup for another 50 years. It was glyphosate for 50 years, but now if you look at Roundup for lawns, you may have some that's glyphosate, but you have Roundup that is uh, MCPA and MCPA and dicamba as well as quinclorac and sulfentrazone, trazone, uh, Hard to say these chemicals. But, you know, this is confusing to a lot of people, and you have to read the label. If you don't understand the label, you need to talk to the people in the store. And if they don't understand it, there are places that you can call that will tell you exactly what you need to do with these things and how to handle them because they are different. The label will tell you how to handle them. 
But if you're confused, you do need to get help. Uh, and labels are difficult to read. You know, as we get older, things get harder to see. <laughs> right. Quite frankly, I carry a hand lens with me so that I can read labels on some of these containers because the print is so small. Then another thing that's happened is that the labels are so complicated, many times you will have a little booklet pasted on the outside of the container. You peel it open, and lo and behold, there are five or six or seven or eight pages of stuff. Well, maybe you don't need to read the whole thing, but you need to read the important parts that deal with what you're going to do with the product. Uh, if you're going to use it in your vegetable garden, that's one thing. Um, you'll find a section on some of these things that says for vegetables. If you're going to use it in your lawn, it says another thing. But, but you read these, and as I said, you may need to take a hand lens with you to find out what these things are going to do. Very inconvenient, but apparently very necessary. In fact, I know it's very necessary. Um, those people who use chemicals professionally uh, do this all the time. Even though they're good at it and they use the materials all the time, they do need to read the labels, and they do read the labels. And they actually get training as how to understand the labels. We have pesticide clinics for commercial applicators and for uh, professional people that use these materials. They go to a class and they spend all day learning how you read the label, what's on it. Then they take another day and they go through what do these things do? If you, if you have this problem, what do you use and why? So it's very important. For those of us who are homeowners, we don't need to do that, but we do need to read the label. And I mentioned before that they are legal documents. Well, when should you read, read the label? You need to read it before you buy the product. Will it do what you want? Is it labeled for that use? If it's not labeled for that use, you can't use it. Is it safe to use on the plants and so forth that you intend to use it on? Uh, can it be used on things like surfaces? Some of these materials will actually damage things like plastics, or a lot of people have granite. Sometimes they'll stain granite. You need to read it, and it will be in the label. Uh, read the label before you use the product, after you get it. How do you mix it? What kind of safety thing do you need? Do you need to wear clothing that's protective? Do you need to wear gloves? Uh, and environmental concerns. How about the wind? Can you use this when the wind's 30 miles an hour? How about streams? Some of these things can't be used where the material will get into flowable waters. And what about the temperatures? Some of them can't be used if the temperatures are below freezing, obviously, but what about high temperatures? Many cannot be used if the temperature is above about 80 degrees. Then after you use it, read the label to make sure it's safe to re-enter the area that you sprayed. Um, and how to use the produce. If you sprayed your tomatoes, how long do you have to wait before you can pick them? Uh, equipment cleanup. What do you need to do to clean the, the equipment up that you use? And then how do you dispose of this chemical stuff that you've got uh, if you have some left over? Uh, where do you, how do you store it? That's very important at this time of year. How do you store these things? Obviously where they won't freeze, but you need to store them where... Um, they're secure where children can't get to them in a locked container of some kind. Uh, we built one in the basement just for that purpose. Uh, as I mentioned before, keep the label on the original container. Now, if the container gets damaged and you need to change it, do not put any chemicals in anything that could be construed as, as a food container, pop bottles. If you use a, a, a container, attach the original label, paste it on, scotch tape it on, something like that. Um, for disposal, uh, Many times they say, um, put these in a, in a sanitary waste disposal place. Very difficult to find. If you have a lot of stuff, uh, talk to your waste, waste hauler or to your community. Uh, waste haulers will pick up hazardous materials. And communities all, always have, at some time of the year, collectively or by themselves, um, 
uh, waste disposal hazardous waste disposable day where you bring these materials in they collect them they know how to get rid of them so be safe labels are used to make it safe they're designed to make it safe and uh, we need to take advantage of that if you use it according to the label these things are safe if you don't follow the label you're doing it at your own risk Good advice, <clears throat> but we've talked about it so many times on radio, and people still kind of ignore the label. But I, yeah, they do, <clears throat> and we we try to correct the consequences many times. Unfortunately, I'm looking forward to your topic next week. It'll be one of my favorites. What are you talking about? We're going to talk about apples. Just about in time for us to go up to the Kickapoo, Gaze Mills, Wisconsin, on our annual sojourn to get apples. The best in the world up there, as good as any in the world. So we'll be doing that, uh, but we'll be talking about it next week on Saturday, about kinds of apples and where to get them and so forth. We will look forward to that, and you have a good trip to the Kickapoo. I'll be up there for a couple of days as well for a family wedding, but won't have time to go picking apples. Well, we'll bring you one back. Okay. Jim Fazell, he's our specialist in ornamental horticulture here on the Saturday Morning Show. Minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show. And as I mentioned, uh, talking to Jim Fazell, who'll be heading up to Wisconsin Gays Mills Country in the Kickapoo Valley to harvest apples, something we always did living on the farm not too far from there. But uh, they still are in the apple business up there. Meanwhile, Gloria and I will be heading for Westby, Wisconsin, just outside the Kickapoo, later today for a family wedding taking place in a barn. Hasn't that become a popular thing? A lot of barns that are no longer used for livestock now being turned into venues for everything from weddings to baby showers and everything else. So uh, we'll be going to a wedding in a barn up in Wisconsin. Well, let me share with you one more time the story that yesterday not only sent the agricultural markets lower, even sent Wall Street lower. This is the story. Chinese agricultural officials who were due to visit U.S. farm states this coming week have canceled their trip to Montana because the officials will return to China sooner than originally scheduled. That announcement from the Montana Farm Bureau yesterday. The cancellation came as U.S.-Chinese trade talks were held in Washington, and President Trump said he wanted a complete trade deal with the Asian country, not just an agreement for China to buy more U.S. agricultural goods. A Chinese embassy official informed the Montana Farm Bureau that the delegation is returning to China sooner than expected, so its goodwill visit expected as early as Monday, was canceled. The Chinese embassy did not immediately respond to a request for comment. But traders on Wall Street and in the agricultural community immediately took that story as a decline in goodwill trade talks between China and the United States. Could be the Chinese were just being honest, saying they have to go back home to China sooner than they had expected. I guess that's one more reason why after about half a century of covering Wall Street and the agricultural markets, I still have 
difficulty interpreting trader reasons for the markets to move up or down. But indeed, they moved down yesterday, despite the fact that this story followed on the Reuters computer. China and the United States had, quote, constructive discussions on trade in Washington. That coming from Xinhua News Agency, that's the state government news agency in Beijing. The two countries agreed to keep communicating on on related issues and discuss the details of the next round of trade talks due to take place in October. That's all of the details that were provided by the Chinese news agency. So, again, it's difficult to know what the Chinese are thinking. They'll say one thing, but could really mean another. And the other challenge I think that I've had over the decades in, uh, well, since my first visit to China in 1976, I have real challenges trying to uh, interpret what they are saying in their news releases and real challenges in putting any constructive thoughts into some of the reports they release some of the numbers, particularly the African swine fever, that has resulted uh, the best I can determine from the China trade talks, that uh, about 37% of the pig crop in China has been culled, euthanized, in order to stop the spread of African swine fever. And every time I talk about African swine fever, it is fatal to pigs, but it does not affect humans. And so the pork situation, in case we would be eating pork from that part of the world or any other country that has African swine fever, humans would not be affected by it. A lot to keep track of on that uh, story. And uh, there's another story that took place this week in Washington that I'll talk about a little bit later this morning here on the Saturday Morning Show. That is the press conference held in the Department of Agriculture office of Secretary Sonny Perdue that uh, discussed the lack of progress in getting the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement through Congress so that uh, we can get that new, I call it NAFTA too, but it has a different term than that. But it's the trade agreement between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. We're not getting anything done on that through Congress. And, well, you know my feelings on Congress this this session, the do-nothing Congress. They're not doing immigration. They're not doing uh, the uh, rules and the laws on a lot of other matters that need to be taken. So we'll talk about that just a little bit later. And it sounds like uh, this year, the crop year, we started out with too much rain. Sounds like we're going to end the crop year with maybe too much rain and some flooding across the area. Good to have you with us this morning and uh, asking you to put up with this froggy voice this morning because of a 
early fall or late summer cold that has struck home and uh, we're going to let other people do a lot of the talking between now and six o'clock when we again check in for the news headlines but right now time for samuelson says i'm orion and this week talking about big oil versus big corn The headlines generally read Big Corn versus Big Oil, but I think that should be changed to Big Oil versus Corn, because Big Oil consists of several large companies producing fuel from petroleum. Quote, Big Corn, end quote, consists of thousands of farmers across the United States producing ethanol and dozens of other products for our consumption. How can we forget the 70s when the oil industry held all of us hostage with long lines at gas stations and record high gasoline prices? That's when the U.S. decided to look for other sources for fuel. Gasohol came on the line and that was followed by what we now call ethanol and biodiesel. And since the 70s, when gasohol made its appearance, we built an entire ethanol industry, taking corn produced on American farms. But now the Renewable Fuel Standards Act, requiring a certain amount of biofuels, including ethanol, to be blended with gasoline, it makes a lot of sense. Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana said it doesn't make any sense at all, because he has a lot of small refineries in his district. And the senator said if they are going to continue to raise the blending percentage in fuel, it's going to cost jobs in his state. Well, I can tell the senator already with the challenge facing corn farmers across the country, it has already cost jobs, causing some ethanol plants to curtail production some of them to even stop production because of the current market, and that's costing jobs in rural America. Farmers have gone through enough challenges with the loss of international markets and with the up-and-down play in the corn market. They don't need any more challenges to put them in an even more difficult position. And the oil industry should never forget that besides providing an ingredient for energy, Corn farmers really don't need any more challenges to put them in an even more difficult position. So, Big Oil, quit picking on small corn farmers. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. A presentation of Nexstar Radio Services here at 21 minutes before 6 o'clock. Saturday morning show on WGN Radio and standing by to talk markets with Jerry Galke, Max Armstrong, who joins us when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. We're pleased to have as our guest in the studio this weekend from Gokey Group, the man himself, Jerry Gokey. Welcome back. Thank you. You were out roaming the countryside in right. recent weeks. You right. drove uh, several hundred miles. Yes. What did you see? Well, I drove through, uh, left Illinois, northern Illinois and drove through, um, uh, you know, parts of, uh, well, I drove straight through west of Iowa instead of taking the interstate. I went Route 20 and then up through South Dakota and then into North Dakota. And then back uh, where I grew up in Allendale, went through that area, and then back around a different route on the way back. So I traveled about 1,200 miles, and 
and I was I was astonished at what I saw in some cases. Uh, I, can, um, I would probably trade some of my crop for the crop that uh, my uh, cousin farms in North Dakota, the old farm farm place. I had very good corn crop. He got the crop in early. Did that? It, it absorbs the rain, and um, um, you know that that land is not supposed to produce 160, 170 bushel corn. Uh, maybe further east in Red River Valley, but then. Uh, you go further north in North Dakota, been there a couple times along the Red River Valley, and you just got to wonder, um, you know, uh, beans are so short, corn is questionable, and I live there, you know, um, you get by October 1st and without a frost, and you're, you live on a borrowed time. So a lot of unknowns, just like the market has been telling us right along, and everybody else is looking. So nothing, uh, nothing, I, nothing that wowed me except one field in Iowa. I saw a field that says, also, oh, this is what a good corn crop looks like. And I lifted an ear, and it was heavy compared to mine in Illinois. We've done a lot of checks in Illinois. Uh, you know, you look at a cob, it looks long, but the weight isn't there, but it's not mature yet. This stuff in Iowa that I saw, I was probably in the banana belt of the world because it looked like 240, 260 corn. But it was big ears and heavy, and um, I doubt whether mine will get there. So if the crop gets mature, is that yield there that USDA is estimating? What's your gut feeling? Yeah, so far we've seen some uh, problems with the, even the early corn. The stuff planted in April, um, the um, uh, it's mature, it's going to dent, it'll make it, of course. It's being harvested in some place in Illinois now, but, but the crops are something uh, to the magnitude of 20 to 40 bushels less than last year. We see um, uh, cobs not forming. You know, you can count the population uh, just about everywhere, and you'll say, "Well, I, I got, I got thirty-four thousand stocks or thirty thousand stocks, but only twenty-eight thousand or thirty thousand viable combinable ears." Now, my question is, what did the USDA see? Did they see a stock with an ear on it? Did they roll it back and say that's a half an ear, or is that potentially a big ear? Uh, so, when we're harvesting this stuff, the early crop is has been hurt a little bit. And the late crop looks like um, it looks great. You know, even in South Dakota, uh, along I ninety west of Sioux Falls, the crop looked like wow, it looks great, but but not not for uh, not not for September. You know, so I, it has the potential, and that's the problem we have out there. Is uh, we've been asked, and the uh, farmers have been asked. So all things being equal, good good weather from here, no early frost. What's the potential? And and you kind of shrug your shoulders. You say, you know, it, it might be it might be APH or better. And uh, yet, when you get out in the field, uh, you just got to wonder, scratch your head. It, I, even if a, a late frost, some of this isn't going to make it. We are having nice warm weather here. This, yeah. These temperatures have been just ideal, have they not, for advancing this crop in a late season? Yes, and uh, unless there's been damage done already. And certainly, uh, I think it's helping that late crop. I forget the number of acres, but a significant amount of uh, 40% or 30-some percent of the crop was planted after June 5th. Uh, in years past, that never happens. You know, I didn't want to plant corn after May 25th, and so we'll see. And we've not had a year like this in the past where it's been too wet and been damaged like that, and this late of a year. 2009 comes to memory. It took all year, all harvest, to finally realize that crop wasn't there. And maybe that's where we're at now is we've got to roll the combines and, and see what we have. And goodness, I'd hate to... I'd hate to be, have the unknowns out there until January of 2020. Mm. You know, that's a long time yet. As combines do start rolling more and more, and we get more of those reports from the cab, mm-hmm. will that move the market? Uh, I think so. In, all, um, in, in corn, I, I, you know, it's low enough now that I think the market is 
uh, underestimating uh, what has happened with the late crop. There's not that early harvested corn to fill that pipeline to sell some stuff. Uh, on on uh, on Thursday, we had really good exports finally in corn. So we're going to need to buy some corn to get it out of the country, maybe get back to normal uh, exports from uh, – they're going to be down from last year, even, even, even that, but still to fill it. You know, there's uh, 2.2 or 2.4 billion bushels of corn left over yet. They're having a hard time finding it. So we've going to, I think that basis stays tight until we're well into it. Um, I, I don't think that you're, you're going you're gonna to have a lot of harvest pressure because the farmers have grain bins. Uh, they know how to store this stuff. And if you've noticed, the large corporations, the large, uh, the ABCDs of agriculture are doing a lot of reshuffling in their, in their risk management and in their buying of grain. They're just having a hard time handling these markets. You know, if we farmers have a hard time handling it, and you would think that, well, the professionals know what they're doing. Well, they've, they've kind of missed this one as well. So there's some sense of urgency to get some hands on, on some corn to get it, yeah, get it out there. And uh, uh, it would take a bigger, bigger yield, and I think we'll be suspect of uh, anything uh, near 170 for quite a while. Have farmers cleared out their bins significantly enough to accommodate the crop? Uh, I think they did up until that, you know, the August 30th is kind of a drop-dead date for DP corn. You know, you fish or cut bait. Either sell me the corn or pay storage and or pay a minimum, which then a lot of guys sold it and then needed cash. Cash flow has been tight. We've heard yeah. that all year. Yeah. And I know in North Dakota I visited with some farmers and elevators, and they brought a lot of old crop corn or uh, spring wheat into, har- in, into the crop just to into the end of the year to make room for the new crop, which is of poor quality. So there was a lot of corn that was... Um, Corn and beans, and some, and the wheat, of course, was was sold for cash flow purposes. The bankers are not; uh, they're concerned about the, the crop and about farmers holding too much. I think now the soybean yield. There are a lot of green beans out there, and I've, I pointed that out to some growers yeah. who said, "Yeah, but we've got a lot of pods. There are a lot of beans on those plants." Well, it seems like there's some some fields that are as good as last year. I've got some that I'm quite surprised that the pods are there. Uh, but all through the traveling uh, through Iowa and places, there are places that have uh, their knee-high beans. They're green. Uh, we see a lot of the, anything that was planted in June can vary quite a bit depending on the rainfall. I've had six to eight inches of rain or something in the last three weeks. But um, uh, we saw a lot of 40 pod, 42, 44 pods in a plant that's maybe 26 inches high. Uh, that's green yet. And um, now, did we count those pods and say they're all going to fill and they're all going to make it? Even those little clusters on top that look like, wow. I just put on five more pods. That must be another five bushels an acre or six. And all of a sudden, you know, in years past, we find out they, they, they aborted and they didn't make it. So that's really a crapshoot in the beans. And, uh, but when you look at what, what uh, Pro Farmer found, they found less pods pretty consistently all over. Now, USDA didn't find 25% less, but I went through all the, all the, all the states, and they varied from minus 10% to 12 to 15 to 20% in some cases. Illinois got hurt pretty bad in that pod count. Uh, they say that usually after the September te- uh, look at the pods, you'll, you'll, the pod count will go up. And they've got a pretty good um, weight on those uh, kernels that are in there, and um, that's really suspect. And, you know, the last uh, month of, uh, of filling can change that yield 10%. So I think we're probably down in around that 46 area. That makes sense. And in corn, um, hopefully down to 166. I could argue that. I can't argue 160 without destroying a big I state. You know, uh, you get a good crop in, in Iowa, which they have a pretty good crop from last year, but not as good as I don't think USDA has, has reported. But when once you get far enough along, um, 
You know, in Illinois, they've taken 27 to 30 bushels an acre off of this year's crop per bushel versus last year. So you got to take that in consideration that these numbers we're seeing have already have some big discounts in it. Uh, big remain, discounts from big numbers. From though. big numbers, that's right. And um, but we are seeing uh, in early harvesting uh, 40 to 60, some places 70 bushels an acre less than last year. But well, last year my corn was 270. This year it's 200. And so that's still a pretty good yield, but not you know 70 bushels an acre times three bucks is 200 dollars an acre less income. A gross income this year that we haven't discovered that yet. You know how how that's going to feel. Just to shift gears a little bit, uh, how do you uh, assess the dryness in South America? What does that mean this early in the game? It's it's significant from the standpoint that some are not planting because it's so dry. But look at the calendar; is it yeah. still plenty early yeah. for them? And 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 if we if we get our crop down to forty six bushels an acre, we can cut the carryover down around five to five hundred million bushels. A big drops, not a, not a billion anymore. Uh, somewhere the USDA is at 640, but each bushel is another 80 million uh, bushels, you know, so a couple bushels, 160, that helps. Um, and then you get into South America, and uh, what we want to see is our crop not good enough to where we, we don't care what happens. We want to say, you better have an average crop there to meet the world demand, uh, including China, that's even been reduced a little bit. So you look back over the years, and uh, South America as a whole, Argentina and Brazil in particular, have varied in crop production as much as 500 million bushels. Well, that's that's significant. If we have a poor crop and they don't have a good crop, they have a subpar crop for a change, then then we've got some interesting times next spring, and uh, then maybe we get, you know, the, the thing we don't hear talked about at all, and I've been looking at it, is uh, um, a uh, bidding war, so to speak, between corn and soybeans in the United States. We've got it in our minds that we're going to plant 95 million acres of corn or 94 and we're going to go back up again in beans. Uh, it, it would be nice to see that well, we better be at a decent crop in corn and beans to uh, to make sure we have enough supplies next fall. And that isn't on our radar yet. But when you think about it, we carried in a billion bushels into this crop in beans. We're going to carry out 500 million or 600 million, significantly less. We're we carried, a lot of beans. Yes, and we, and we carried into this year's crop almost 2.5 billion bushels of corn. If we carry out 1.7 from last year, that's 800 million bushels less corn next year at this time as we begin harvesting we had this year. So that, that's a long way ahead, but it's a futures market, and, uh, and and that's what the market will be looking at. And hopefully, uh, maybe uh, it couldn't happen to finer fellows, I guess, in South America to get a bad crop for a change. And China also is is dry. Uh, Drew Lerner has been saying, and I think um, you know we've looked at – uh, that we've been watching that quite a bit. They have not had a bad crop in China since 1994, when they bought the last batch of corn that took us to five dollars. I think it was back then, and um, for a short period of time. And then, uh, so if they would get, uh, it, it's not critical yet, but it's concerning. And if we see China coming in here buying more corn or, or buying corn from us, or even more beans than we thought, maybe they're looking over their shoulders, thinking, uh, "I can't afford to have a poor crop in my country." and not have as many beans in South America. And the last thing they want is some sort of a feed shortage in their country. Uh, people aren't going to be real happy with that. For all of the concerns about the trade war, that would take precedent? Yeah, yeah. It would, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't it be just uh, uh, lucky for Trump to have this thing all turn out to be Mother Nature's problem and he comes out of it smelling like a rose and said, see, if we hadn't had a tariff, why, we'd be out of corn by now. We're out of beans by now. <laughs> we'll talk another day. Thanks, yeah. Gary Gokey. Appreciate it. Jerry Gokey, Gokey Group. 
Three minutes before 6 o'clock news time here on the Saturday morning show. A meeting in the office of Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, on Thursday of this week. He was joined by former secretaries Tom Vilsack, Dan Glickman, and John Block. And also joining in the letter to members of Congress, Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Espy, Ann Veneman, Mike Johans, Ed Schaefer, all coming together to send a letter to members of Congress to get going on the uh, legislation that will approve the Canada-U.S.-Mexico grain uh, trade agreement. Uh, Quite a turnout and a lot of support letting members of Congress who have done nothing on it that we need that agreement. Quick look at uh, the uh, closing numbers at the Mercantile Exchange. Well, that uh, China cancellation of a trip to Montana and Nebraska farm country impacted all of the markets. The December lean hog contract down a dollar seventy cents a hundredweight. The October live cattle contract unchanged for the day yesterday, and the October feeder cattle contract up sixty seven cents for the day yesterday. Grain trade, soybeans took the biggest hit yesterday. November soybeans down ten and three quarter cents a bushel. December corn down a penny and three quarters. And December wheat ended the day yesterday down three and a quarter cents a bushel. Cattle on feed report, uh, the monthly numbers that came out yesterday, not enough change probably to have an impact on the market when the markets open on Saturday. But again, or I should say on Monday, but again, the focus will be on the trade talks between China and the United States. That will continue to dominate much of the market news. And while we in agriculture were concerned about the slowness of those negotiations, as I said earlier, that China trade situation and the cancellation of that agricultural group in Montana Uh, going back to China earlier, did um, impact the stock market as well as grain and livestock. So that's our time here on the Saturday Morning Show. Thanks for putting up with these froggy tones this morning. A trip to uh, the Kickapoo in Westby, Wisconsin should cure that for next week, I'm sure. But you're listening to Chicago Stories told 24-7 on 720 WGN Chicago. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.